welcome to the HJ Talks About Abuse podcast, the podcast where we talk about sexual abuse cases in the hope that it will assist listeners in openly discussing topics which have been ignored for too long. This podcast is brought to you by the abuse team at Hugh James. We are lawyers, so we tend to speak about the legal aspects of abuse cases, but we aren't too shy to speak up about the broader issues faced by survivors of sexual abuse too. We hope that you find it interesting, but more than that, if you are a survivor of sexual abuse, we hope that you find our discussion empowering. Good afternoon, podcast listeners. This is Hugh James Talks About Abuse. I'm Kathleen Hallisey, joined by my colleagues, Danielle Vincent and Hannah Hodgson from the abuse team. Today, we're talking about a recent episode of 24 Hours in Police Custody, which centered on grooming and child sexual exploitation. Thanks, Kathleen. So before we start, we're going to give it a trigger warning on this one because this is quite a sensitive topic and we are talking about sexual assault, rape, abuse and grooming gangs in general. So if this is going to be triggering for you, please do switch off, but join us for another podcast in the future. Thanks, Danny. Yeah, so um, this week's episode of 24 Hours in Police Custody, um, as you said, Kathleen, centred around the grooming of young children. Now, in this particular episode, Bedfordshire Police were working on a missing persons case, which quickly escalated into an alleged sexual grooming and multiple abuse case. And we saw the survivor telling her story throughout the episode. Now, the perpetrator was 21 at the time, and he had actually offered the victim, the girl in the episode, somewhere to stay after she fell out with her mother. And he actually raped her several times during her stay. Now, we saw the police explain that when he had the girl in his house, he actually threatened to hurt her with his physical violence and actually even threatened to harm himself if she refused his advances. Now, luckily, the girl managed to escape the house and she very bravely came forward to the police, made a statement and she revealed that she had been a victim of sexual abuse. So really, the episode just follows this case. I watched the episode after you highlighted this come on to Channel 4, Hannah. And I must admit, we we work with, you know, some really difficult places and upsetting events that happen. And I actually went cold and was a shivery watching this. Some of it was really quite harrowing, you know, the arrest and the lack of empathy or shock or upset and just the persona of the individual that was arrested. It was a really hard hitting episode. Yeah, I think one of the things that was particularly shocking is that when the police went through his phone, it showed a huge number of children and young girls that he had been targeting via social media platforms. So clearly, we don't know, I I suppose, at this point, whether there are other victims. And if there aren't other victims, there were certainly other potential victims. So it, it definitely is to the great credit of this young girl and her bravery and courage that she came forward that prevented other people from being victims. Yeah, and that's actually why um, we really wanted to talk about this because the episode has has actually brought a lot of attention to social media platforms. Um, Bedfordshire Police actually did an appeal on their Facebook page afterwards. Um, and I thought it was a really, really important message that they were getting out, how you know grooming can take place in many different forms. It's not always obvious. And the perpetrators are, again, not always obvious. Um, It doesn't matter your age, sex, or your background. You know, anyone can fall victim to this, um, particularly young people. Yes, that's most definitely something really important that came out of this. And the other thing that actually I thought that the filming highlighted was that 
although this person was targeting females under 16, he was actually targeting the family of these these girls too. So speaking with the, the mothers, making rapport, you know, asking for the mother's telephone number. So again, the, the person that was involved felt trapped because obviously this person had worked their way into effectively the family and the trust and that's one thing that we do see with this type of situation and you know we talk about more widely in other podcasts grooming gangs and we've we've seen it in the media that there are lots of ways that people work their ways into people's lives. Yeah I think that's a really great point Danny and and something that I think there probably needs to be broader public education around and we've seen it in lots of cases. The one that always comes to mind first for me when I think about grooming of of families in order to gain access to victims is the case of Barry Bunnell who's the potentially the most prolific pedophile in the in the UK's history. He um, abused many many children in the context of coaching in football and he certainly went to great lengths to groom the victims families which you know then in turn makes it that much harder for the victim to disclose because their family also has been groomed their parents think the world of of this person who's befriended them and maybe has offered them things or paid for things for them or been supportive of them yeah and i think that's what was actually really insightful to me when i was watching the episode because it does just highlight you know how many different tactics perpetrators will use when grooming young people and children Um, I mean, as you mentioned, Danny, he did groom the family, but also, you know, he was grooming the victim um, by making them feel guilty. You know, if they didn't do what he asked, he even threatened to harm himself. And I, I actually think he did harm himself, which was just really, really you know, insightful because you don't always think of these sorts of tactics. Um, you often think of most common ones where they might promise you gifts or, you know, alcohol or drugs. But um, it was just really, really good to to see that explained. And one of the things that came out of this episode particularly is that he was good, the, the abuser was good at targeting victims, for example, where they were of a teenage age and perhaps had arguments with, with their mothers so that one girl had left run away from home and that that's how this situation came about that she was staying at his house and then that's when the the sexual assault occurred. Yeah I think that's a great point. I think as well it's important at this point that we just introduce a bit of statistics just to put this all in context for our listeners. So according to the NSPCC online grooming crimes have risen by more than 80% in the past four years and data from 41 UK police forces shows an 84% rise since 2017-2018 taking the total to more than 27,000. I just want to say that again, 27,000 offenses since 2017. Meta-owned platforms were used in 38% of the offenses where the means of communication was known. However, Snapchat was also used by groomers more than any other platform, and it was used in a third of offenses, so that's 33%. And I, I think, again, looking at you know it being social media being used to groom and contact victims, and then from there becomes a, a contact offense, is important to think about in the context of the online safety bill and how that's kind of being chopped and changed for online platforms to avoid liability when it comes to these types of situations. Yeah, and Ellen and I have actually, you know, touched upon um, Snapchat and grooming in a previous podcast, but, you know, this really, really does just, you know, highlight everything we were speaking about. And even though we had discussed it, it was still just shocking to see it actually happen to someone in real life. And that's the important thing as well, is because a lot of the time we're looking at 
trying to keep younger people safe and teaching younger people to stay safe in respect of social media. But I listened to your podcast that that I wasn't involved in, Hannah, on Snapchat, and there was so much in it that I didn't know and how it is very much so used in respect of potential grooming. You, You know, the messages can disappear, the images can disappear. One of the things that I felt the episode didn't touch upon, which was what I was thinking as it was going through, is that when the individual was arrested and his phone was gone through, and I think we've mentioned there was lots and lots of images of lots of different very young looking females on there, was what he was intending to do with all of these images and whether there was going to be threats to release them or coercive control in that way and whether there would have potentially been a lot more offences committed other than the sexual assault that he was, you know, brought in for questioning about. Yeah, I think he ended up pleading guilty to one count of possession of an indecent image of a child, but presumably there are a lot more than than just one one image on his yeah, phone. there was lots and lots of images, but there was no evidence. I don't think that he'd used coercive control or threats to disclose the images if, if the individuals didn't comply with mm. his sexual request. But as I was watching it, I was actually expecting that was going to be the next thing that they found in mm. his text messages. But but as we say, we see a small clip of the investigation and we don't know whether that person had other phones or there were other suspicions in it. Yeah, I think that's a really good point, Danny, because that's definitely a tactic that abusers use is to get these indecent images and then, you know, threaten to release them unless the victim provides more images or is willing to meet up with them and perform yeah. sexual acts, etc. Again, just goes to show the real danger in the sharing of indecent images across social media platforms. One thing I was really impressed with, actually, that was kept in the episode was the police officers mentioning Claire's Law, which we as a team released a podcast on not long ago. And Hannah, I don't know if you just want to give an overview if our listeners hadn't heard about that before, but... It was so impressive that that actually made mainstream TV as well. Yeah, so um, Claire's Law designates several ways for police officers to disclose a person's history of abusive behaviour to other people who may be at risk from it. So in the episode, we actually saw the police meeting up with the perpetrator's girlfriend and disclosing his history. And again, that was actually a really powerful thing to watch because she just had absolutely no idea of his history at all. And I think it's it was really, really important because it was preventing someone else from, from falling victim. Yeah, and so it is an important piece of legislation that lots of people don't know about. So I was really happy that, one, they named it, and two, they explained it briefly but for viewers that weren't aware of it and maybe in a situation where they have got a younger daughter or you know somebody in their family that they're worried about hopefully that again is coming to knowledge that there are things like this about yeah so i think it's important for for people to understand that under claire's law which is officially known as the domestic violence disclosure scheme if an individual or a third party like a family member is concerned about somebody's current partner, they can ask police to check whether that current partner has a violent or abusive past, which obviously can go a long way, I think, in assisting parents or family members who are concerned about who their child might be involved with. Great. Well, thanks 
both for us going through that. If either of you got any concluding thoughts on this episode? No, I mean, I think just thanks to Hannah for bringing it to our attention. And as you say, Danny, I think, you know, it's one thing to kind of read about these cases, but I think when you actually watch it in real life, so to speak, and, and somebody, a victim going through it and, and also getting to see the perpetrator and the police investigation really brings it home what these people go through and the importance of the work that we do and all people do on behalf of victims and survivors. Yeah. And I think having watched the episode, I would I'd say for myself, I found it really hard hitting. It was quite an upsetting episode. And we haven't really touched upon the fact that lots of interviews was with his girlfriend of the time, who, who wasn't the abuse victim or the person reporting abuse. It was a partner who, it was an interesting thing to see it play out with how she felt about him and how it was completely different to the crimes that he was committing and how, you know, people that are very close to abusers can have no idea about what is going on. And I'm glad that they also showed all of that element too and the impact on her and how she got to move on as well because sometimes I think we forget about those type of people as well. Yeah, definitely. Absolutely. Well, thanks everybody for participating in this podcast and and for our our podcast listeners. We hope you found this an interesting episode. Of course, if you have any suggestions that you would like us to talk about on a future podcast, please do get in touch. Or if you have any comments or questions on this one, please also do get in touch with us. Until next week. Thank you for listening to this episode of HJ Talks About Abuse. You can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcast player. If you'd like to speak to us about something you've heard today, we'd love to hear from you. Email us at aboutabuse at hjtalks.co.uk.